Parkland victims' families have suffered another loss, with the Broward Court ruling that the school board wasn't responsible for warning parents about the shooter. Now, the community is wondering what might have been done to prevent the tragedy. Whatever can happen within the law to improve that communication, I believe that that needs to be put out there to the parents. Practicing social distancing from Coral Springs, I'm Chris Cahill. And from Pompano Beach, I'm Logan Dietz with South Florida Journal for the week of April 2nd, 2021. Also this week, unemployed Floridians still face problems with the state's obsolete unemployment compensation program. Workers and legislators alike fault the system for its constant delays and low benefit payouts. I was almost homeless because they took forever with approving me and getting me my funds. We'll have these stories and more on this week's South Florida Journal. But first, from Boca Raton, Austin Havis has some of the other stories making South Florida headlines this week. Thank you, Logan. Out-of-state visitors aren't the only ones frolicking in the South Florida sun during spring break. Despite warnings from the CDC, spring breakers overwhelm municipalities and police attempting to control the spread of coronavirus across the Tri-County area. Now, the state is witnessing a unilateral rise in cases and variants as vaccinations ramp up in the Sunshine State. Daryl Burke has the latest. For the past two weeks, COVID cases have been declining in Broward and Palm Beach counties. But even as vaccine eligibility expanded this week, both counties reported rising seven-day case averages. Broward's count increased from about 600 to about 700, while Palm Beach's increased from about 320 to almost 400. This is very serious. Health Director Dr. Alina Alonzo is warning Palm Beach County about the rising COVID variant count. Instead of getting one or two people sick with the virus now, the, the, the regular virus, this will get four to five people sick at one time. According to the CDC, Florida has led the nation with COVID variants. Dr. Alonzo attributes the trend to out-of-state travelers. I know what spring break is like, but this was something nobody's ever seen before and they actually had to shut down, they had to put in a curfew. Following a Monday press conference in Tallahassee, Governor DeSantis disputed Dr. Alonzo's claim, contending the rise in cases was to be expected. But I think what you're seeing is, is the natural cycle of this. But if you look, if they're all young people, and if the elderly people are protected, then you're not gonna see a big surge in hospitalizations. Starting April 5th, all Florida residents 18 and older can sign up for one of three available vaccines through their local pharmacy or through Florida's Department of Health. For South Florida Journal, I'm Daryl Burke. Beginning Monday, COVID-19 vaccinations will be available to anyone 18 and older. But paradoxically, some groups who've waited to become eligible could face even greater challenges. As Fallon Forrestal reports, teachers are ambivalent about the latest changes in the vaccination program. Prior to March 29th, younger teachers were limited to private companies to receive the vaccine, but now can go to state-sponsored sites along with everyone else. Pineview Elementary teacher Kim Prenz credits the ease of vaccinations to the administration. Whether they've gotten it through our district or through some other state site, they said it's been not that bad at all. While the governor's vaccination guidelines might have pleased some thus far, Making it open season for all could further complicate difficulties for educators. Broward Teachers Union President Anna Fusco has already been concerned with restrictions. I'm not quite sure why he still wants to put 
a cap on it. It doesn't make sense. I mean, they're there. Let people sign up that want to get it and have the opportunity to get it. The executive director of iHealth at FAU, Dr. Greg Fields, thinks in the future, scientists will likely need to create variants of the vaccine. But for now, believes it is important for educators especially to receive it. For South Florida Journal, I'm Fallon Forrestal. The pandemic has led to an outbreak of more than COVID-19. In Boca Raton, waste from protective equipment has become a growing problem, along with concern over potential health hazards. Last week, Boca City Council approved a steep new fine, but as Omar Abdallah reports, the measure is still a contentious issue. City Council member Andy Thompson believes that constant littering of PPE is disrespectful and dangerous to Boca Raton residents. The intent is to send the message that this is a dangerous thing that's happening when people litter this stuff and it has to stop. And so we need to increase the penalties that are associated with folks littering these things. Although Thompson is saying that littering PPE is dangerous, scientific research shows otherwise. According to Amesh Adalja, a researcher at the John Hopkins Center for Health Security, PPE littering does not pose a threat due to natural elements destroying the viability of the virus. No, I don't think that the PPE littering really has a has any major impact on the on the cases that occur. I think most people are getting infected by close contact with infected people, not by litter. Regardless, anyone violating Boca Raton's new PPE littering ordinance will receive a $250 fine. For South Florida Journal, I'm Omar Abdallah. Broward Health has had a troubled past, including lawsuits over kickbacks to doctors and controversies involving former leaders. That changed under former CEO Gino Santorio, who served for two years until last November. Now that a new successor is set to begin, the organization hopes to stop the revolving door of leadership changes while also addressing any lingering concerns. Alex Velasquez reports. Broward Health has high hopes for its new CEO, Shane Strom. This is the agency's fifth leadership change in three years. Yet Broward Health Chairwoman Nancy Gregoire says other internal issues have also held the organization back. There was a lot of dissension, and it wasn't with the CEO, it was more with other parts of the organization. And it kept Broward Health from being as good as it could be. Local experts have also noticed the organization's negative news coverage. But Dr. Alan Whiteman, Associate Program Director and Instructor for Health Administration at Florida Atlantic University, believes Broward Health can get back on the right track. They get a good leader and that can, can add stability to the organization and run it effectively, then it'll, it, it'll be able to do its job. New CEO Shane Strum was an executive vice president at Memorial Healthcare System. He'll begin with Broward Health later this month. For South Florida Journal, I'm Alex Velasquez. Delray Beach is cracking down on what some view as aggressive panhandling. City commissioners have revised the previous 2014 ordinance regarding panhandling. But as Corey Rose reports, some see the decision as an attack on the city's poor and homeless. The revised ordinance imposes new restrictions on panhandling within Delray city limits, such as a minimum distance from schools, restaurants, bus stops, and ATMs. It also removes the permit requirement from the 2014 ordinance. Shirley Johnson was the only commissioner to oppose the revision. Despite Johnson's concerns, Michael Kahn, the lawyer who wrote the revised ordinance, insists that it's in the public interest and not an attack on the poor and homeless. The ordinance does not make it impossible to panhandle. 
it, it, it just regulates where they can do it and to an extent when. But 94% of the town is, is open to panhandling. Delray commissioners have approved the ordinance, but have chosen to postpone its enforcement. For South Florida Journal, I'm Corey Rose. Fort Lauderdale residents and tourists woke up to another stinky surprise as sewer pipes broke again for the second Sunday in a row. Now, city officials are divided as to where the blame lies, with the city's dilapidated piping system or with the increased tourism to the South Florida area. Last fall, Fort Lauderdale committed to a $3 million long-term program to begin renovating the city's aging infrastructure. This will include work on the sewer system. Despite a nationwide push to reopen classrooms, Fort Broward County schools are continuing online instruction until further notice, and coronavirus isn't the culprit. The schools, all built in the 1960s, are being inspected for the same faulty structural design plaguing James S. Rickards Middle School, which saw its new roof cave in on March 5th. Sunrise is about to join the growing list of South Florida communities with Amazon Fulfillment Centers. City officials expect the new facility to provide about 1,000 jobs, but some locals worry about its location in a residential area. Environmentalists caution that the development could further damage the city's waste and water supply. Elliot Rodriguez has the story. The project's proponents suggest the fulfillment center will greatly benefit the people of Sunrise. David Coddington, Senior Vice President of Business Development for the Greater Fort Lauderdale Alliance, says the fulfillment center should bring in 2 to $3 million a year in taxes and create jobs. There's not a downside to it. And it's a large facility that will be able to take over the whole parcel uh, and to work with the neighborhood uh, with concerns in reference to uh, the growth of that industry. Susan Caruso, the conservation chair for the Sierra Club of South Florida, wants Amazon to make certain accommodations to limit the damage. You know, there's going to be a lot of um, wastewater, a lot of solid waste, and we have one landfill in this county, one. Crusoe also says Amazon should equip their building with solar panels to absorb the heat from the sun. As of now, it's up to the locals to decide whether the Amazon project is environmentally sustainable. For South Florida Journal, I'm Elliot Rodriguez. Those were some of the stories making South Florida headlines this week. I'm Austin Havis. You're listening to South Florida Journal. I'm Chris Cahill. And I'm Logan Dietz. Remember to follow South Florida Journal on Spotify. And follow us on Instagram at Journal. Just ahead... Unemployed Floridians still face problems with the state's obsolete unemployment compensation program. Workers and legislators alike fault the system, known as Connect, for its constant delays and low benefit payouts. But first, Parkland victims' families are reeling after a Broward County judge's ruling that school officials weren't responsible for providing warnings about the shooter. Given the decision, parents and students are wondering what might have been done to prevent the tragedy. South Florida Journal's Natalia Ribeiro has been covering the story. This week, she sat down with Brianna Rogers and told her more. Thank you for joining us, Natalia. Thank you for having me. It's been three years since the Parkland shooting happened. What's been done since then to prevent another tragedy like Parkland? Well, ever since the tragedy, there have been increases in security. According to NPR's Jessica Bigman, Broad Schools Superintendent Robert Renji 
said that issuing weapons was a stopgap measure to create a heightened sense of security around the district. I spoke to Talon Davy Chief of Police Stephen Kinsey this past week about what his department did after the tragedy. Made a decision to put a police officer in every school. Some schools don't have police officers, they have what's called armed guardians. And in the town of Davy, we have at least one, sometimes two police officers in every school. So basically, the town of Davy made sure that every school had a trained officer. And in some schools, they even made sure they had two trained officers instead of one. Okay, so is it safe to assume not every school had a police officer before the tragedy? Some schools didn't have trained police officers. They had what is called armed guardians. The difference is that a police officer has more training than an armed guardian does. They are more highly trained. In the case of a school shooting, they have more expertise in knowing how to deal with those types of situations. Alright, so with more police officers being posted at schools, how do they view the judge's ruling? Of course there are some legal guidelines that have to be followed. With that being said, Kenzie told me that any entity has the responsibility to let the parents and students know of any potential danger. You know, I feel within, within the law, I feel that any entity has a responsibility to let the parents know that there's a possible threat that resides within their school. Now, again, there's, there's some legal guidelines there and there's some laws that protect those individuals. Mm-hmm. But whatever can happen within the law to improve that communication and to share that information about someone who's possibly a threat, I believe that that needs to be put out there to the parents. Kezi felt that it's necessary for parents and students to know what is happening at school. Whether that be a major or a minor threat, it's important for them to know what is happening around the campus. Considering that this tragedy also touches on mental health, what else is being done to aid the well-being of students and parents? Well, according to WLRN's Kitty Mons, there is a parkland grant that was given to mental health providers in the amount of $100,000. Now, this money is being used to provide services such as counseling, support groups, therapy, among many other services. That's interesting to know. So, how has this impacted the training and preparation of new school counselors? In their coursework to become counselors, they already covered trauma and harm and harm reduction. I spoke to Carmen Gill, who is the department chair of FAU Counseling, and she told me about their gatekeeping system program that they have in place. For our students, are, are tend to be older students, you know, because it's master's level entry, we're talking about mid-20s and older. So at that point, you kind of you kind of identified some of the folks who are really going to struggle, and they, they don't tend to go on into master's programs. But we do have a gatekeeping system Um, to ensure that the counselors that uh, graduate from our program are ethical. You want to make sure that those who are going to become future counselors have the person's best interest at mind. From Gil's perspective, what's most important in preventing another Parkland? Gil told me that it's important to have more school counselors. I would say one of the most important aspects for prevention is to get more qualified school counselors because the more people who are there to, to watch to, to monitor, look for signs, assess, and help, then the less likely you are to have another one of those tragedies. The more people there are to help, the less likely another tragedy similar to Parkland will occur. There has definitely been some work on making sure schools don't have to go through these tragedies again. Thank you so much for your insight. You're welcome. South Florida Journal's Natalia Ribeiro telling us about the changes made three years after the Parkland School tragedy.
You're listening to South Florida Journal. I'm Chris Cahill. And I'm Logan Dietz. Remember to follow South Florida Journal on Spotify. And follow us on Instagram at SouthFlowJournal. Just ahead, unemployed Floridians still face problems with the state's obsolete unemployment compensation program. Workers and legislators alike fault the system, known as Connect, for its constant delays and low benefit payouts. But first, Austin Havis has a recap of some of the stories we've been following this week. Out-of-state visitors aren't the only ones frolicking in the South Florida sun during spring break. Despite warnings from the CDC, spring breakers overwhelm municipalities and police attempting to control the spread of coronavirus across the Tri-County area. Now, the state is witnessing a unilateral rise in cases and variants as vaccinations ramp up in the Sunshine State. Beginning Monday, COVID-19 vaccinations will be available to anyone 18 and older. But paradoxically, some groups who've waited to become eligible could face even greater challenges. Teachers are ambivalent about the latest changes in the vaccination program. The pandemic has led to an outbreak of more than COVID-19. In Boca Raton, waste from protective equipment has become a growing problem, along with concern over potential health hazards. Last week, Boca City Council approved a steep new fine. Those are some of the stories we've been following on this week's South Florida Journal. I'm Austin Havis. You're listening to South Florida Journal. I'm Chris Cahill. And I'm Logan Dietz. Florida's case and fatality counts have been among the nation's highest since the pandemic began a year ago. But the state's delayed response to workers displaced by the pandemic has also made headlines. In its study of federal data late last year, the Associated Press found that Florida was the second worst state at paying unemployment benefits on time. Now Florida's Chief Inspector General has released a report blaming the design and testing of the compensation system known as Connect. State lawmakers across the political spectrum agree that the aging system requires updating. However, Some critics say a more critical problem lies with Florida's payouts, which are among the lowest in the country. South Florida Journal's Aaliyah Fisher has been covering the story. This week she sat down with Bryce Totes and told him more. Thank you for joining us, Aaliyah. Thank you for having me. So fill me in on a little bit of background about the Connect system. What is it exactly, and why has it been so unpopular lately? The Connect system was built back in October of 2013 by Deloitte Consulting, one of the world's largest accounting firms, with its purpose being to process applications and payments by the Department of Economic Opportunity. However, complaints about the system not working have been echoed by people such as Governor DeSantis, Democrat and Republican lawmakers, and citizens like Anna K. Foster, who was a student at Florida Atlantic University who struggled significantly getting approved for benefits since being laid off from her job in the middle of last year. The system that you give us, that you tell us to sign off on, it doesn't work. We have long wait times to get approved. And by the time we get approved, we might, I was almost homeless because they took forever with approving me and getting me my funds. So due to the Connect system's failure to perform, people are put into dire situations waiting to be approved for benefit funds. Interesting. So since the system hasn't been working for such a long time, how are people getting approved to receive their funds? Now, the pandemic's had a considerable effect on the unemployment rate since its North American debut back in January of last year. By March, 20.6 million jobs have been lost, causing an unemployment rate of 14.7 percent. 
Numbers that low haven't been seen since the Great Depression back in the 1930s. Meanwhile, since Connect hasn't been working efficiently, approval of applications are being left to the employees at the unemployment office, such as Alicia Days, who worked there during the height of the pandemic. There are just like so many people reaching out every single day and explaining like how bad they needed the money. And from the position I'm in, I'm only able to approve or deny or help with questions. The current amount of benefits that recipients living in the state receive is $275 per week, whilst the cost of living in Florida exceeds that greatly. Alicia expressed that the two don't equate. An individual, let's say just one adult with no kids and like no family to feed, $275 still isn't enough considering that the cost of living in Florida on average is about $25,000 to live comfortably. And if you're getting $275 a week, that's less than $15,000 a year. That's not enough to live off of, have your bills paid for. How does Florida's unemployment compare to other states? Florida is listed as one of the top five states that distributes the lowest benefits rate to recipients, compared to other states such as Washington, whose current rate is about $800 per week. I spoke with Ann Paxton, who works with claimants that have to appeal denials of unemployment benefits in Washington, as a staff attorney and policy director at the Unemployment Law Project in Seattle. She argued that Florida recipients deserve more in terms of benefits. If the benefit in Florida is $275 a week, that is an extremely low and stingy benefit compared to what Washington offers. As millions across the state are still waiting to be approved for benefits, Ann Paxton had a few suggestions to speed up the process. The only alternative that we've been able to provide people is to write to your legislator or legislators and say, this is not acceptable. This people are suffering. Please do something about it. So that has been our, our advice. And in some cases, that's worked because often the legislator will write to the department on behalf of that individual person who has written a letter and say, what's going on with this case? Sometimes another alternative is to contact a reporter. According to Governor DeSantis, it would take about a year for a new system to be built. Currently, the DEO takes the Connect system down during the nights and weekends to work on sending payments and processing applications faster. Meanwhile, a bill is advancing to punish Deloitte. This definitely seems like a huge issue, and I guess we will have to wait and see what the outcome is. Thank you so much for your insight. You are very welcome. South Florida's Aaliyah Fisher telling us about the failure of the Connect system and the struggles that it placed on Florida citizens. You've been listening to South Florida Journal. I'm Chris Cahill. And I'm Logan Dietz. South Florida Journal is a joint production of Dr. Kevin Petrick's broadcast and advanced broadcast journalism classes in FAU's School of Communication and Multimedia Studies. Hi, I'm Corey Rose. I'm Daryl Burke. I'm Bryce Totes. I'm Mike Mancuso. And we're your South South Florida Florida Journal Journal producers. producers. And here's the rest of the crew. This is Austin Havis with my fellow assignment editors, Brianna Rogers, Omar Abdallah, Angel Rossi, Mike Mancuso, and me, Gabrielle Brown. And here are our script writers, Austin Havis, Omar Abdallah, Logan Dietz, and I'm Daryl Burke. But let's not forget social media. Our social media coordinators are me, Brianna Rogers, Gabrielle Brown, and Mike Mancuso. All sounds considered by me, Chris Cahill. Music composed and performed by Colin Orange. Stay connected and follow us on Instagram at SoFlowJournal.
Thank you for listening and make sure to tune in for the next South Florida Journal.